0: Thank you for tuning in to this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. Will you stand with me? It is good to see you. Man, three weeks feels like a lifetime. Um, as Pastor Victor said, we are going to start a series in the Lord's Prayer tonight. Um, we're going to spend about six weeks in this, and so every week that we do this, I want to begin it the same way, praying this prayer with each other. We see this prayer in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Luke chapter 11 as well, and we have the disciples looking at Jesus, the Messiah, saying, teach us to pray. And the Son of God looks at his followers and he says, when you pray, pray like this. So can we put this on the screen and pray this together? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever, amen. You can be seated. I want you to pause and I want you to consider this. A God who is infinitely strong. He does whatever he pleases. A God who is infinitely righteous. He always does what is right. A God who is infinitely good. All that he gives and all that he does is good. A God who is infinitely wise. He defines right from wrong, left from right. What is good, what is right, what is just? A God who is infinitely loving. He will leverage all of his strength, all of his righteousness, all of his goodness, all of his wisdom, all of his justice, all of who he is, to elevate your joy higher and higher and higher forevermore so that you can find what you were made to be satisfied by. That God invites you and he invites me lavishly to ask things of him, to plead with him, to come to him. And that is why we have prayer. And the tragic thing in my life is that I don't do it enough. That I don't do it enough. That the invitation of God would be for me to come to Him. And I find it difficult to give Him that time of day. And this is why the Lord Jesus teaches us to pray. He teaches us to pray so that we might know that we have been given permission, freedom to come to a God who is infinitely strong, infinitely good, infinitely wise, infinitely righteous, infinitely loving, and ask things of him. My hope for myself primarily and you secondarily is that I would be able to receive the weight of that truth over the next six weeks. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you. And we thank you for the privilege that it is to be together tonight. What joy I have in watching my brothers and sisters worship you lift their hands to you, lift their voices to you, give of their time and energy to be here tonight. What a gift it is. And Father, we don't take it lightly. Lord, I pray that as we enter into the words that Jesus taught us to pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do only what you can do that you would unveil our eyes. You'd give us revelation. You would enable us to see the truth. You would enable us to experience the truth. Holy Spirit, I lift up every man and every woman in this room. And I pray that if even for a moment tonight we would all be able to see and perceive you're a God who's pursuing us. You're a God who cares for us. And as we look at the first statement here in this prayer, I pray that all the more our eyes would be open to your goodness, to your grace, to your mercy, to your life. So precious Father, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us minds to understand. And give us hearts to believe. And if you're with me tonight, can you say amen? You ever had a moment in your life where somebody pursued you, but not just simply pursued you like, like you felt cared for by that person. This is what I mean by like cared for, like you felt, you felt seen, and not just seen like on the outside, you felt seen on the inside. You ever had a moment like that with somebody? You know, the hard thing is like, that's becoming rarer and rarer today. Like to have moments like that with people, but like, like, like a moment where it's 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 permission for you to be human. Last week, I uh, I had the privilege of flying down to Texas and visiting my uh, my best my best buddy, my childhood best buddy, who's now my brother in law, and and my pastor, uh, who was my pastor down there when I lived down there after I graduated high school ten years ago. My goodness, and. Um, I get down there and the first day, we, I, I land, get to the house, we get everything settled and it, it, it gets nighttime, it's like nine o'clock. They're like, hey, let's go to Starbucks. They have no coffee shops down there. So we go to Starbucks, which I think is awesome. And we go and we sit down at Starbucks and we just begin to fellowship. We're opening up the scriptures with each other. And my pastor down there, he looks me in the eyes, sitting across the table and he goes, "So Tim, how are you doing? And I felt caught off guard by that question. Because as I sat there and I looked at him, it was like, man, it was like he was able to just see right in my soul, which is so vulnerable. And so I, I began to kind of slowly answer this question. And, and I usually start by answering this question by kind of dancing around the question. And, and this, this guy, he's, he's no nonsense. He goes, no, 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 Tim, how you doing? And so I begin to kind of fumble out, just, just things that I'm walking through, anxiety and these different things that are like, just, just been hitting me, been weighing on me for some time. And he can sense the fear and the timidity in me. And he goes, Tim, and he taps on the table. And as I'm like talking, I realize that I've stopped looking at him. I'm looking down and I'm shaking and, and I look up. He's look, looking me in the eyes. He goes, Tim, you're safe here. My eyes just welled up with tears. It's a moment where I felt seen. I felt taken care of. I felt loved. That's what I feel when I hear the first two words of this prayer. Our Father. And I want you to see what I mean by that tonight because tonight I want to talk to you about these three simple words. God is Father, God is Father. Now here's the thing. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that third word right there shakes up a thousand different meanings in this room because the first picture that we have with that word is whatever picture we have of our earthly father here. And that might be, for some of you, no picture at all. A dad who took off, a dad who's absent, a dad who's passed away, a dad who's passive, a dad who's careless, a dad who's aggressive, a dad who's angry, a dad who's abusive, a dad who's fun, a dad who's intentional, a dad who's caring, a dad who's loving, may be a mixture of all of those things. There's a thousand different meanings when we hear that third word. God is Father. And I find it so fascinating that when the disciples look at the Son of God, the Messiah, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray, that he says, when you pray, pray like this. And he begins with these two simple yet profound words, our Father. When you pray, when you go to commune with the God of the universe, this is the title that I want you to give him. This is the way of relationship I want you to see that you have with him, Father. Think about how this would blow the mind of a Jew. Jesus was a Jew, he understood understood the scriptures, he knew the history of Israel. You look back to the Old Testament, I mean think about the transcendent leap we take from the Old Testament to this moment in Matthew chapter six where he looks at all of these people giving the Sermon on the Mount and he said, when you talk to God, when you go to him in prayer, you're going to address him as Father. You know what I've been going through a Jewish mind at this moment? You go back to Exodus chapter three, where you have Moses at the burning bush. And he's going and and he looks and he sees this bush that's burning yet not consumed. And out of that bush begins to speak the voice of God. And he says, Moses, take off your shoes. Where you're standing is, is holy ground. And so Moses takes off his shoes and he's standing in the presence of the Lord. And the Lord proceeds to tell him that he's heard the cries of his people, Israel back in Egypt. He's heard him and he's gonna do something about it. And he looks at Moses and says, I'm gonna send you to deliver my people out of the oppression of Pharaoh and Egypt. And this is what Moses' logical response is in Exodus 3, chapter 13. It says, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I tell them? God's response, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said this, say to this, to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Stay there. God doesn't answer with his name yet. He answers with his nature. He says, look, when Israel asks you who, which God They're living in Egypt, a place that has a God designated for everything, a God of the moon, the stars, the sea, the harvest, fertilization, fertility, whatever it's going to be. He says, when they ask me what God, which of these gods sent you to us? He says, I want you to tell them I am who I am, sent you to them, in other words, the God who was and is and is to come, the God who is over every single one of those gods, every single one of those areas, that God, the God who stands before time and at the end of time, that God has sent you to them. Next verse, and God said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord. Everyone say the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. When you ever see this in the Old Testament, capital L-O-R-D, they're not talking about Lord as if someone who's lording over something. It refers here to Exodus 3, the name of God. The closest thing that we have to a pronunciation is Yehovah, the name of God. Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. Yehovah. El Shaddai, Adonai, Elohim, the name of God. Now I want you to catch this. Look at the leap that we just took from this moment to the New Testament. It would have been logical for them to go, Jesus, when we pray, what are we to say? And Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, our Lord, capital L-O-R-D, our Lord who are in heaven, it would have been logical. Let's keep with like like the weight of this name. You go all throughout the Old Testament, the name of God like like there's something about this God, this transcendent, unassailable, sovereign, supreme God, the God that we see who leads Israel as a king, the God that we see deliver Israel out of Egypt, the God that we see do all of these mighty works in the book of Judges, the God that we see who elects and chooses David as his king, the God who anoints the prophets and speaks to the prophets to communicate to Israel, this God, the God who created the heavens and the earth in Genesis one and two and called it good, this God is saying that when you come to him now, you are to say, Father, Father, Father. There's two reasons. Two reasons, and they can be kind of confusing at first, but I want you to follow me. Two reasons why I think Jesus opens up this prayer with these two words. And they're so profound, so profound. The first reason is this, is that Jesus wants us to see that God functions as a father. That's kind of like Captain Obvious right there, right? Like Jesus wants us to see that God functions as a father. What do I mean by that? Well, biblically, we have a, an understanding of what does a father do? What does a father do? I mean, the relationship with a father for some, not for all, if we're relating it to our earthly father, but for many, the, a relationship with a father is one of intimacy. It's not a distant relationship. It's not as if there's a king and a subject, right? It's not, it's not kind of one of those relationships, though we, we refer to God as king many a times throughout scripture. But when he uses this language, Father, he goes, no, 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 no. I want you to know that when you go to the place of prayer, if you're going to go pray, you need to realize something. That the God that you are going to desires an intimate relationship with you. A personal relationship relationship with you, not a distant relationship, a personal relationship. And so the question has to be like, what functions does a a father have? What does a father do? And this list is endless throughout scripture, four that I wanna highlight to you, four that I wanna highlight to you. A father, number one, a father is a source of life. Let's get to brass tacks basics, right? Like biologically, every child, has a genetic code that comes from their father, right? I am learning this one on one as I have a child being born in four months, right? Like, like a child's, like the the, the X Y chromosome is coming from daddy, daddy. Like it was me who's gonna determine was that a boy or a girl. We're gonna find out, right? Like genetic code, like biologically father is a source of life but here's what I want you to pay attention as we go through these reasons these functions there is often in scripture God relating or scripture relating our earthly father to God the father we're going to see the similarities between those two but also often in scripture we're going to see the differences between our earthly father and God the father are you with me There's a similarity in how these function and we kind of see this basically right now. This first one, a father is a source of life. It takes a dad in order to create a child. (laughs) Unless you are the Virgin Mary, pay attention in health class, okay? Like it takes a dad, it takes two becoming one to create a human being. It's why God said be fruitful and multiply, right? Like like a father is a source of life. This is true. My child that's gonna be born somewhere in the timeline of May 10th is going to have my genetic code, hopefully, with that child. (laughs) No, it will, it will. (laughs) That's the kind of statement that puts you in the doghouse, fellas, okay? Well, have my genetic code. There's there's a sense where fathers are source of life, but hear me. God the Father is the source of life, all life. There is not just some. Psalm 139 says that he knits us together in our mother's womb. And we are fearfully and wonderfully made. A father functions as a source of life. Number two. A father provides. A father provides. We see this in God, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament as well. Genesis 22, we have Abraham about to sacrifice Isaac and God steps in and he says, no, 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 no. Don't sacrifice your son. And they're sitting there going, well, what are we to sacrifice? And Abraham looks over and he sees a ram caught in the thicket. And he goes and he gets the ram and they sacrifice it. And Abraham says, you are in fact, the God who provides, Jehovah Jireh, he provides. He takes care of the needs of his children. This is what we see about God the Father in the New Testament as well. We're still in the Sermon on the Mount. You go a chapter over to Matthew chapter seven, starting in verse nine, Jesus says this, or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, he's talking to his followers. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I want you to pay attention to that right there. How much more will your father who is in heaven give what? Good things. Good things to those who ask of him. Contrast between earthly father, heavenly father. An earthly father, he will give things to his child. Some will be good, some will be bad. He will do what he deems is best. But Jesus goes, no, 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 how much more? How much more will your father who is in heaven give you good things? A father provides. He takes care of the needs of his family. Now here's the thing. I know some of you in here are going, that's not my experience with my father. Let me rephrase the statement. This is what a good father does. A good father provides, but it doesn't just stop there. This is a not so fun one. A good father, disciplines, he disciplines. You see a child beginning to meander his or her way out towards the street, sees the ball that they wanna play with, begin to walk out in the street. Daddy lovingly pulls him aside and says, no, 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 you don't go out there. That's not how this works. 30 seconds later, the ball goes out in the street, the child begins to meander out into the street. Daddy pulls a child over. If it's back like in the early 2000s or 1990s, that child gets a whooping. If it's today, it's like you don't get a tablet or whatever it is. <laughs> right, you don't get your gluten-free yogurt. <laughs> like... I'm getting way off track here. A <laughs> father disciplines. I gotta rally, hold on at a rally, thinking about cocoa melon, (laughs) a father disciplines, I had a scripture, Hebrews 12, 9, let's just go there, (laughs) Hebrews 12, 9, Uh, author says, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it, this is much better than what I said, how much more, everyone say, how much more? How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our what? Our good in order that we might share in his holiness. God has a purpose in the way that he's directing your life. And he cares about your life. How do we know that God cares about your life? Because he's a father who disciplines. He's a father who's going to invite and show his children what the way to life looks like and also what the way to death looks like. A good father disciplines. He cares for the well-being of his child. This is what a father does. You see a child disrespecting another human being. A father goes, that's not the way to life. You see a child meandering on a path to death. A father says, no, let me plead with you. There is a better way. Now I understand that discipline carries a lot of connotation and earthly parents do not do it perfectly, but hear me, it's a gift. And we know it's a gift when it comes to our perfect father, God the father, a father, he disciplines. But this last one is a big one. A father loves, a father loves. Every father that I've talked to so far who has stood in that delivery room when their child comes out and they hold that child for the first time, always tell me the same thing. That they've known this human being, this fragile, weak human being for moments and they always say the same thing and there's nothing in the world that they wouldn't do for them. You know what I love about that analogy is that when that child comes out, it literally does nothing for the father. It eats, it sleeps, and it poops. <laughs> That's it. And it whines. Does nothing for the father. And yet this is what I hear from every single father. They pick that child up. It's like they function to make me tired. They wear me down. They can make my life miserable and there's nothing that I wouldn't do for them. You know what's like, like the harsh reality is like that's a very, very accurate illustration for our relationship with God. (laughs) We do nothing for him except wine, eat, sleep, and sit on the toilet. (laughs) Like like we do nothing for, we, we, we offer him nothing. We have nothing to make his life better at all. And like, here's where the good news begins. It's not just beginning with the fact that you're a sinner in need of a savior. The good news begins that with that reality in mind, that you would do nothing but whine, eat, sleep, poop, and make his life difficult. He chose to create you anyway. Can you take it a step further? Christ is the living proof of this. He chose to love you anyway. A father functions to love. The first reason why Jesus opens up this this prayer with these two words is he wants us to see that God functions as a father. God protects us. He provides for us. He covers us. He disciplines us. He's our source of life. He loves us but I don't think that's the main reason that he opened up with those two words. Point number two, is that Jesus is showing us how we are to relate with God. This one doesn't make, make as much sense at first, but bear with me. If you follow Jesus, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new Creation. The worship team can go ahead and come up. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is what that means. It means that we are never to look at, hear me, hear me. We are never to look at our personal relationship with God outside of God's relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you with me? We are never... You are never to to think about yourself and how you relate to God apart from the work of Jesus Christ. And this is why I'm saying that. Like I want you to think about these first two words, our father, who is teaching the disciples to pray? This is not a trick question. Answer me. Who is teaching the disciples to pray? Jesus. Jesus. Who is Jesus? The son of God. Bear with me, the son of God. It makes sense for Jesus to say this prayer to God, right? That when Jesus would go to pray, when the son of God, like the lamb that was slain, fully God, fully man, the word that became flesh, when that human being would go to pray, it makes sense for him to start with these two words, our father. And he looks at his disciples and he says, when you go to pray, how are you to start this prayer? What two words? Our Father. Do you realize what Jesus is inviting you and me into right here? This is the start of the good news. That in fact, in the New Testament, for the bride of Christ, for the church, our relationship with God has to be grounded and rooted and exclusively in and through the person of Jesus Christ. This is what I mean by that. You take Jesus out of the picture. You take Jesus out of the picture, this prayer no longer makes sense. Are you with me? If we remove Jesus, the Son of God, the one that died on My behalf, on your behalf, this prayer makes no sense. Makes no sense. Our Father, we don't have a father-daughter, a father-son relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's inviting He's inviting his followers. He's inviting you, me, into a new way of relationship with God. He's saying no longer will your relationship with God be based upon what you do. No longer will your relationship with God be based upon what you think about yourself or even what you think about God. For those who are in Christ, who follow Jesus, your relationship with God will be based completely on the finished work of Jesus Christ. You know what that means? That when God looks at you, He does not see your brokenness. When God looks at you, He does not see your frailty, when God looks at you, if you are in Christ, it's impossible for him to be disappointed in you. When God looks at you, he begins with these words. This is my son. This is my daughter, whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. Do you see the good news of this prayer? It's not just simply that we're talking to some father. It's that when we enter into the life of Jesus, we actually mean our father, our good, perfect father. This is why Jesus, recorded in the gospel of John chapter 14, starting in verse six, He goes, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then what does he say? No one comes to the Father except through whom? Whom, 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 whom? You hear that good news? The good news in that name. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. You have no relationship with God apart from me, but I've got good news for you. I'm a safe place for you. Can you stand with me? There's a, a story John Egan gave three years ago at Desperation that I've never forgotten. He said he was at Chick-fil-A. This is when Jones and Izzy and Lewis were young. Jones and Lewis, they were playing in the play place. These are his two sons. Jones, older, Lewis, younger. They're playing in the play place and a kid was being very, very aggressive with Lewis, a younger brother. And, and he, 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 he was barking or something at Lewis, I don't, something <laughs> kids do these days. And Jones, he got up and he, he stood up for his brother and the kid, the kid snapped at Lewis and Jones said, stop, he put his hand up. And he, you could tell like this moment was serious and he, he felt ready, ready, ready to go to, go to bat. And, and John saw this, he was standing right there and John stood up and he goes, Jones. And Jones looked at his dad and he broke he started weeping he started weeping and I love this story because what a picture of what it looks like to be a child of God we need no strength we need no talent or ability you need no good works You just simply need Jesus Christ. I need Jesus Christ. And so brothers and sisters, as we begin this series, and as we are taught to pray by the Lord Jesus, I think it's important that we start with responding to the Lord Jesus. We can't call on our Father if we do not know him as Father. And the only way we can know him as father is if we receive the finished work of Jesus Christ. So this is what I want to invite you to do tonight. I want to invite you to receive. You remember at the beginning of this message when I said, have you ever had a moment where you felt as if someone cared for you? As someone saw you? someone pursued you that is what God is doing with you in the person of Jesus Christ he is pursuing you he's caring for you he's wanting to see all of you that's what I want to invite you to do I want to invite you to spread out don't go to the back of the room stay in front of the sound booth spread out and find a spot spread out and find a spot Take a knee, sit in your chair, sit against the wall, you can stand, whatever's helpful for you. Learning to pray. Learning to pray means nothing if we don't know Jesus. Learning to pray means nothing if we don't know Jesus. And here's the thing. Here's the work of the enemy. Is that there are so many things that work against us being able to experience who Jesus is. And here are the things that I'm willing to guess are in this room right now that are working against you being able to receive Jesus is that you're broken. And that brokenness comes in many shapes and sizes. You're wrestling with some addiction, pornography, substance abuse, some addiction, something that you just can't shake. And it's, it's behind those closed doors. Nobody knows about it. And it's like, that's that thing that's keeping you. You would run to Jesus, but you just feel guilty in his presence. God's grace deals with your guilt. Hear me. His grace deals with your guilt. You're in this room and you feel shame shame because you've grown up in church your whole life yet if you're honest you go I have no idea who God is I don't know why this matters for my life shame because you don't like the person that you are that's hindering your ability to receive Jesus here's a big one religion you are so focused on performing for God, that you have no time to receive him. You think that his love is costly and so you're trying to pay it. I need you to hear me say that love is costly, but it's not something that you can pay for. But there is one who can and his name is Jesus. If you fell into any of those categories in some way, shape, or form, you're in here and you're numb. You feel spiritually and emotionally numb. And you feel like like this is your barrier that's keeping you from receiving Jesus Christ. I need you to hear me. If you are in any one of those categories, there is good news for you tonight. Christ came, Christ died, and Christ rose again he has chosen to enter into relationship with you despite you despite you he has chosen to give you relationship with God the Father not based upon your works or what you have done but based upon what he has done so here's what we're going to practice as we head back into worship simply receiving it. Receiving it. Receiving that where we are weak, Christ is made strong. That where we are hopeless, Christ brings hope. Where we are broken, Christ is whole. Where we are hidden and in shame and where we are guilty, Christ is gracious and merciful. This is your good news tonight, that you need not do anything for God, but simply receive all that he has done for you. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you help us receive you? Help us receive. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.